The second half of the 89th Iowa General Assembly has the goal of meeting for 100 days. To reinforce this goal, that's how many days per diems are available for legislators. Day 100 came and went on April 19th, and both chambers began to slow down their activities. For much of May, the full Senate or House did not meet. Uh, the bottle bill that we sent over to the House oh, over a month ago has returned with a House amendment. On Monday, May 23rd, the 134th day of the 2022 legislative session, Republican Senator Jason Schultz floor manages a bill that changes Iowa's four decades old container redemption law. Part of this proposal allows dealers to legally be able to stop redeeming containers. Dealers are retailers that sell a can of pop with a five-cent deposit, for example. Dealers will be able to opt out effective upon enactment if, uh, if they meet one of several provisions, and that would be a food establishment license is held. Uh, this would include all main grocery stores and most convenience stores. One way a store can opt out is if there is a new mobile redemption system nearby. Another is if a redemption center is available within 10 miles in larger counties or in smaller counties within 15 miles. Iowans love the bottle bill. Democratic Senator Claire Selsey says this change will make it less convenient for consumers to redeem their bottles and cans. It doesn't expand the containers accepted, which we all know between now and between 1978 and now, there have been an explosion of the different types of beverages that you can buy. We should be including more of those uh, in this, this legislation, but that's not happening. We're going to let the people that sell bottles and cans essentially off the hook. Previous versions of this bill would have tracked and potentially redistributed unclaimed deposits. Democratic Senator Jill Bolcom says this version of the bill continues to benefit distributors. The beer distributors that, that distribute beer and the pop distributors who do distribute soda pop, they're going to they're going to collect a bunch of nickels that are never going to find their ways back to consumers because consumers are going to have a very difficult time and grow frustrated with even trying to take cans and bottles back, driving 15 miles, 20 miles, 30 miles to take a five-cent can back for collection. Economists have estimated around $50 million of unclaimed deposits go to distributors every year. During most legislative sessions, there have been various proposals from repealing the container redemption law to altering it. I'm glad this is happening. It's, it's, uh, it's time. Senator Schultz says while grocery stores are likely to opt out, there is more opportunity for redemption centers because now a center will receive three cents for each container instead of one cent. Also heard from a senator this weekend who said, if, if you don't get this done, I have a redemption center that says they're just going to close the doors at the end of session if they don't see this because it won't work anymore. We're going to get that done. It passes on party lines. This is one of many policy bills clearing both chambers for this session. Senator Schultz also floor manages a bill about COVID-19 vaccinations. This bill prohibits the requirement of a COVID-19 vaccination for enrollment in any licensed child care school or post-secondary school. Senator Schultz says this is a continuation of previously passed bills that prohibit mask mandates or COVID-19 vaccination requirements in the workforce. In order for somebody to, to be mandated to attend a, a center, I don't believe there should be a, uh, a mandated uh, vaccine for this purpose. So this isn't about COVID-19 per se, this is about vaccines generally. No, this is, this is only a COVID-19. Democratic Senator Zach Walls asks Senator Schultz questions about this proposal. So you don't, you don't see this potentially leading to the 
restriction on other vaccinations like polio vaccine or MMR. Those no. are all, those are good. No, those are in place and nobody's, nobody's hollering. So can you just then help me understand in your mind, what's the difference between those vaccines and this vaccine? Time, time process and uh, accepted, acceptance. Fair enough. The Senate approves this bill on party lines. Like with the container bill, it is also eligible to be signed by the governor. Through the years, bills about gambling are not party issues. One bill in the House has a section that would put a hold on building new casinos. Two-year moratorium on additional gambling licenses effective immediately and repealed automatically on June 30th, 2024. Republican Representative Shannon Lundgren says in some areas of the state, there are multiple gaming establishments, like in her district near Dubuque. It's also near a state border. Uh, we also have a lot of gambling activity going on outside of the state. I think it gives us an opportunity to take a look at what's happening in our competitive states and then make a decision from there whether we want to expand uh, the land-based casinos in the state. People have been navigating and working with the Gaming Commission, and then all of a sudden um, we see a moratorium pop up. Democratic Representative Kirsten Running Marquardt says this bill banning new casinos from being built is not fair. We're not letting the Gaming Commission do the job that we as a legislature put forth to have them do. Either we have them do what we tell them to do, or we go back into the legislators deciding where and when there's going to be casinos, and we know what a disaster that could be. This bill passes with bipartisan support. A bill passing with more bipartisan support is one reducing some taxes. Part of it removes income taxes on one-time $1,000 bonuses some individuals have received this year that work in fields like education and law enforcement. The intent of legislation is to limit to the tax uh, to the bonuses that was paid out through the executive branch through the ARPA money. Republican Senator Dan Dawson is talking about how these are paid for through the ARPA, American Rescue Plan Act. So that would be certified peace officers, correctional officers, medical staff, independent credit school teachers or teacher employed by the state, child care worker, uh, retention bonus through the Department of Human Services. Those persons we cover into it, uh, not additional persons. Uh, school districts receive their own money. Uh, that was not specified in this language right here. If a school decided to give a bonus to a paraeducator, for example, that bonus would not qualify for an income tax exemption. This bill also provides a tax credit for some residential solar energy system installations. Additionally, it eliminates what is sometimes called a tampon tax. There will be no sales taxes for products related to menstruation, also, no sales tax for diapers. This bill passes with no opposition. Bills about policy and even taxes do not have to pass for the session to end. But bills about state budgets, however, do. The House passed department budgets in March and April. As the session resumes in May, the Senate finally presents its versions. This education appropriations bill is a considerable disappointment. Democratic Senator Herman Kornbach says the funding proposed for the Regent Universities is too low. The House version of the education appropriation passed weeks ago contained no increase. This proposal from the Senate offers $5.5 million more. But that's barely 1%. Most other entities in our education system are getting at least 2.5% this year. The $5.5 million does not even make up for or restore the Republican cuts from just a couple years ago. 
in the budget that I have pro proposed from the Senate, uh, we were making Regent Universities whole from the cut in 2020. Republican Senator Chris Knoyer is from the Appropriations Committee. She says her original proposal for more university funding would not be able to pass in the House of Representatives. Due to the negotiation process, we were brought down to $5.5 million. And let me tell you, that was not an easy negotiation process. So uh, if you think zero was bad, um, we got, we got it up to fi a $5.5 million uh, increase, uh, which brings them up to $575 million that the Regent Universities get in this budget. As it is debated in the House, Republican Representative David Kerr lists the total. The dollars uh, appropriated are $992,891,954. This is an increase of $15 million, uh, approximately over... 22. I'm so disappointed in this budget. Democratic Representative Art State says a decade ago, the state universities were funded at a higher level than they are now. If there ever was a time in the history of this state where we had the funds to fund education and higher education, our regents, universities, it's today. One of the facts out here we're not talking about is there's a budget surplus of a billion dollars. I was shocked, I'll have to say shocked, with the removal of the funding for the cybersecurity simulator at Iowa State University. Democratic Representative Dave Williams says when the House passed this bill in March, it had $900,000 allocated for ISU to establish a cybersecurity simulator. But the version of this spending bill that came back from the Senate has eliminated this. That goes beyond not only the educational uh, issues we've been talking about, but we're not thinking strategically on what this is going to happen to us from a risk assessment standpoint. The bill's floor manager, Representative David Kerr, says he is also disappointed the ISU cybersecurity is no longer part of the education appropriations bill. There are a few things in negotiation that I wondered about myself. Why we didn't uh, do the cybersecurity bill. It is an important issue. When the bill passed from the House in March, only two Democrats voted for it. Representative Kerr says if more Democrats had voted yes, his negotiations with the Senate could have been stronger. Would have given me more leverage. I could have went in and said, that bill has to stay, that part of the program has to stay. Look at all the backing from the House, Democrats and Republicans. But this time, as the House votes, it's all along party lines, and the budget bill is sent to the governor. There are dozens of bills passed during the final two days of this session. Toward the very end is what is known as the Standings Bill. In part, this is what holds the state to allocating funds for previously passed budgets. It can also contain divisions that are policy and unrelated to anything in the bill. This means it could contain anything. It is floor managed by Republican Representative Gary Moore. Some of the remaining divisions in the amendment are pieces of legislation that the House has already passed this General Assembly, but the Senate has not acted upon until deciding to include them in standings. These include preventing private groups or individuals from donating funds for the administration of elections, legislation dealing this information provided to patients at ab ambulatory surgery centers, the Pioneer Cemetery Bill, and the language expanding the list of licensed health care providers who can perform physicals for child care.
One of the surprising portions of the standings bill is about changing public schools' open enrollment. The amendment addresses parental choice in schools by taking out the March 1 deadline for open enrollment. Which means a parent can transfer their child to any public school at any time if there is room in the school. So do you understand why that March date was put there in the first place when we originally did the open enrollment bill? Democratic Representative Mary Masher asks Representative Moore why this is necessary. I assume it has something to do with funding and, no, and for schools so they know um, the status of their funding. It's predictability. Right. So they know how many teachers they're going to need to hire for the fall. Right. And but, so, but go ahead, I'm Representative sorry. Masher, Again, I want to stress the fact, this is a people provision, giving parents and students the choice, not the school district, and it's not about money. I, get, I understand what you're saying, but again, if there are circumstances where a child is being bullied or there are problems in terms of how they are being treated in a school, we already have provisions in the open enrollment bill and law that allow a parent to open enroll their child in the middle of a school year. So we made accommodations for parents to be able to do that. But we did it for specific reasons, again, so there was predictability. The open enrollment portions of the standings bill would be effective upon the signature of the governor, meaning last March's deadline would no longer apply for the school year ahead. There are other divisions in this bill, from selling homemade food items, increasing penalties for assaulting a National Guard member, and removing the office of the chief information officer from a Senate confirmation requirement. The discussion on this bill in the House and Senate is short and passes mostly along party lines. The Senate has done tremendous work in preserving and protecting and defending our rights and our liberties. In the final hour of this session, leaders make closing remarks like Senate President Jake Chapman and Senate Majority Leader Jack Whitfer. Whitfer cites decisions made during the past two years. We passed a ban on vaccine passports so Iowans would not be shut out of local businesses due to their personal medical decisions. When schools can when schools continued with unnecessary mask mandates that took power out of the parents' hands and defied common sense, we were there for our students. Senate Minority Leader Zach Walls says Republicans have made the workforce shortage in Iowa worse through their policies and proposals. Attacking public schools with false accusations of having a sinister agenda, continued attacks on labor rights and unemployment benefits, refusing to fix our state's worst-in-the-nation child care crisis, and driving people out of the state with their relentless culture war. In the House, the end-of-session leadership speeches are more cordial. Minority leader Jennifer Confirst says while there are many disagreements, she thanks Republicans for working on a relationship with the Democrats. I'm a big believer that things work more smoothly when we communicate with each other. I would like to thank Leader Winchettle and Speaker Grassley for believing that as well and for keeping the lines of communication open on scheduling and planning. Because of what I consider to be a good relationship with you, we've been able to move things along and keep the focus on the issues not on process or playing games. Majority Leader Matt Winshittle also takes time to acknowledge both parties. I appreciate all the work that you've done in this chamber. All right, I respect each and every one of you. Um, I will miss many of you. But to be honest, some of you I won't miss so much. So, sorry, you know who you are. So, 
at the end of the day, I wish you Godspeed, uh, blessed times with your family, and get out there on the campaign trail. Just keep working hard for Iowans. And Speaker of the House Pat Grassley mentions the first bill the House passed this year, which mandates more fuel pumps to have biofuel options. With gas prices at all-time high, we were able to deliver a bipartisan bill, and thank you working with uh, all parties in this bill that, or in this chamber. Um, I have full confidence in saying, and I've had a lot of folks tell me, and I'm sure you've heard the same, that the bill that we were pa- able to pass on biofuels would not have happened had the House not sent such a strong message in a bipartisan fashion early on in session for us to be able to get that bill across the finish line and signed by the governor. And I think that reflects what we're able to do um, when we have a common goal and we put our energy together behind that. So I want to thank the Democratic Party and the House uh, Republican Caucus for being able to get that done. While this is the end of the 2022 legislative session, this two-year 89th Iowa General Assembly ends in January 2023. This is also an election year, and with districts redrawn and many legislators retiring, there will be more changes in the 150 chairs for the 90th Iowa General Assembly next year. This is the final episode of the legislative podcast Under the Golden Dome for 2022. Through the year, this show receives help from the many Iowa public radio reporters and talk show staff also covering the legislature. This includes Katerina Sestarik and Grant Gerlach. Additional support from our digital team, Caitlin Troutman and Matt Searin. Script editing for our episodes comes from Iowa Public Radio News Director Michael Leland and Iowa Public Radio News Program Director Catherine Perkins. I'm John Pimple. Under the Golden Dome is a production of Iowa Public Radio. For all of those retiring members, please do not forget to take your nameplates. All of the retiring members can take their nameplates. Not your county, but your nameplate. Thank you.